Good morning. Can everybody hear me okay? So I know a lot about chronic pain, and everything I know about pain I learned by accident, literally, and my slides are not changing. Guys? Oh, now they are. Okay. <clears throat> 14 miles from wisdom. This is where I was when I fell asleep while I was driving, and when my tire hit the side of the uh, road, the gravel, I overcorrected, rolled 100 yards, and when I came to a stop, this is what my Jeep Grand Cherokee looked like. I immediately knew that my neck was broken. There was no, um, there was no doubt about it. I couldn't feel anything from the neck down. I couldn't breathe. I was, oh, well, obviously I could. I'm here. I was really struggling to breathe. I had two collapsed lungs and a broken neck, C4 burst fracture. Um, I went through a lot of real difficult times during this, and I had a lot of people that helped me. During this, I had an emergency room doctor. Well, first of all, I had wonderful EMTs that came. They had just purchased an extraction device, and they put me on that extraction device and kept everything stable while they got me to the hospital. That was um, life-saving. Once I got to the hospital, I had a wonderful doctor, who uh, neurosurgeon who was on surgery. It was Father's. It was on uh, Father's Day. He was in a surgery, and he got me right in. Took all the little shards of bone out from around my spinal cord, and as you can see, I'm an incomplete quadriplegic thanks to him. And he told me that. Um, he told my husband that there was no brain injury, and that was a lot of really good news. Right now, I'm, I'm uh, very grateful for that because I watched a lot of people as I was going through rehab try to deal with, with that. I had to learn how to walk. I had to learn how to function. And when I asked my doctor, the first doctor that came into the room, I asked him, what's my prognosis? And I just want to tell you this is a stock photo. This isn't really him. But he looked at me and he said, you will never be normal. Um, those were really devastating words, I have to say. Obviously, he was right. Really, I'm not sure if I was normal before, but he was certainly right. I was never going to be normal after this. Um, I have Brown-Sacord syndrome. So this hand that's holding this, um, it's a wonderful hand for holding this because it's about all it's good for. Um, I have spasticity and partial paralysis on this side of my body. And this side of my body that looks normal, I can't feel hot or cold, sharp or dull. Um, the next day, I asked the doctor who had done my surgery. This is really him. It's not a stock photo. I wanted to know the answer to the question a second time. I didn't like the first answer. And I said, Dr. Serini, what's my prognosis? And he just looked at me and he said, you're going to walk again. I am so grateful I focused on that instead of the words of the first doctor. Um, he, as you can see, Dr. Serini was right. I am walking, and I'm functioning really well. This is a little piece of my recovery here, a little video. And all the people that were surrounding me and helping me during this time, I had OTs and PTs. I have to say that those people are wonderful. At the time, I wasn't so sure. They really don't care how much it hurts 
when they get you up. I had broken ribs, broken clavicle, broken neck, collapsed lungs. I had all this stuff. I had a lot of pain. Um, they didn't care. They got me out of bed anyway. Very grateful for that. And I went through this process. I learned how to walk. Everything was going well. I was about two years out, and I developed burning nerve pain. We were on a car trip with my family. We were headed from Montana to California, and it was a long, long car trip because every bump in the road caused fresh burning. And so we would stop about every half an hour, and I'd get out of the car, and I'd lay in the grass, and I'd cry because it was terrible. I thought I was dying. Uh, and I had been doing so well. I'd gotten off all my opioids. I'd, I'd just, I was exercising every day. I was sleeping at night, and I was doing really well. And then I hit that bump. And I just, we couldn't figure out what it was. Finally, they discovered that I had developed a syrinx in the middle of my spinal cord. And that syrinx, it's a fluid-filled cyst right in the middle of my spinal cord inoperable because they would have to go through healthy spinal tissue and I didn't want to take the chance of losing function. So now we have to find the answer for the pain. Um, it was at this time that the words of that first doctor came back to me. You're never going to be normal. And I was really discouraged. I was depressed. I was hopeless. And we would try, my doctor and I, we would try one medication after another. And by the time they'd get it high enough to do anything about this central nerve pain, I was not functional. And it was a, it was a really depressing time. I am not a person prone to depression. And I am also a people person. So when I... Um, when it was time to go to a social function one morning, and I told my husband, I don't want to go. You go. You and the kids go. He said, I think we need to take you to the hospital. This is not right. <laughs> Some of you introverts may not be able to understand that. But he knew that something was seriously wrong. I didn't want to do anything. The family was doing everything without me. They would go bowling. I would sit home in the recliner, and I would cry because I couldn't go bowling. And uh, they would go um, hiking, and they would, do, they would do all these different things. My kids were teenagers at the time, and I wasn't sleeping at night. That was one of the most difficult things. I would take a large handful of pills to go to sleep, and I'd sleep for a few hours, and then I'd wake up in the middle of the night and watch wonderful middle-of-the-night TV. You guys know what's on TV in the middle of the night? <laughs> Maybe you guys sleep, but I'll tell you, it's not very fun. So um, then I would go back to sleep probably 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'd wake up in the middle of the day. My family would come home, and I would be with my bathrobe on and my hair standing on end laying in my recliner. And that was my life. And I thought that was going to have to be my life. Um, one thing during this time that I discovered was that all pain 100% of the time is processed in the brain. This is a wonderful um, picture done by Dr. Michael Moskowitz, who um, works with, um, he talks a lot about neuroplasticity in the brain. And I'm going to change the slide, and I want you to watch what happens to these nine areas of the pain that, brain that process pain when we focus on it. That's what was happening to me. I was going from this, this is normal, 5% of the cells in those nine areas, to this because pain was taking over my life, my brain, my everything. And 
pain was my focus. We know that what we focus on, we empower and enlarge. And for me, pain had taken over. Um, I, uh, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't read. I couldn't have a good conversation with anyone. It was just any, anybody who would come over, that was all we would talk about. And my poor doctor, if I could read you those notes, patient called crying. She thinks she's going to lose her mind. Patient called, says that the meds you gave her are making her stomach hurt. Patient can't sleep at night. On and on and on. I have pages of this. That um, my, I, I want to just apologize to all of you because I know that, all, that probably for the majority of you, you have patients now that were like me then. I discovered that as I focused on pain, it got worse, but I also discovered that the opposite can be true. That's the good news about neuroplasticity, that in the same way that we can focus on it and enlarge it, we can, always, our, we can also turn it around and go the other direction. I am not saying that my pain is not real or that the people that I work with, that their pain is not real. This is a spinal cord syrinx. This is not mine, but it's a really great representation of what a syrinx is. It's real. Um, but it doesn't have to take over my brain or my life. Um, I just want to just really quickly tell you the story of what I have done and how I've turned this around. Um, my insurance company sent me to a functional restoration program where I learned that pain is an experience. It's an experience of the brain and that there are things that I can do to manage my experience of pain. I started um, implementing those modalities into my life. Just really simple things. Breathing from the diaphragm. I can bring my pain from an 8 to a 4 with a few breaths from my diaphragm. When we have pain, most often we're breathing tight and shallow from the chest, which is telling our brain that we're being chased by a tiger or fight or flight. You know, it puts us into fight or flight. And um, so also does all of our negative thinking. Um, I can't stand this pain one more second. That's where I was at when I was on that car trip with my family. I was crying. I was... I, I was having a really difficult time, and I was telling my family, I can't stand this one more second. I think I'm going to die. Well, obviously, I didn't die, and I could stand the pain one more second. Um, uh, that's been um, nine years ago. <clears throat> um, so basically, I discovered there were a lot of different things that I could do to manage my pain, and I decided that I wanted to spend the rest of my life helping people with chronic pain get their lives back. Um, I have developed a program for people with chronic pain. It's based on coaching. And we're going to talk about coaching um, two other times um, today. I have two other sessions where we'll talk more in depth about what we do with people with chronic pain. But basically, the bottom line is that pain doesn't have to take over the brain that we don't have to be um, highly medicated and laying in a recliner and not sleeping at night, not exercising, and having a miserable, terrible life. It doesn't have to be that way. We can learn a lot about pain in the brain um, when we learn about people that have had amputations and the people who have um, phantom limb pain. We know 
that people who are missing a leg, like this man is, um, can still have pain in that limb even though the limb is not there. Um, this was really, really interesting for me as I learned about this. This is a mirror box. Have any of you ever heard of Dr. Ramachandran and the mirror box therapy? It is so fascinating. Dr. Ramachandran was working with a young man who had lost an arm in a motorcycle accident. And he came up with this idea for the mirror box um, as he thought about how can we trick the brain. And he built this mirror box for the young man and he asked him to put his, you can see that my, my bad hand is here and I'm looking, <clears throat> I am looking, as I look in that mirror box, I'm looking at the good hand. So my brain is seeing me look uh, like I have two good hands and that's what he did with the man who was missing his arm. And as, he, as this young man looked into the mirror, um, he had had really terrible burning nerve pain in this hand. And the hand was all clenched up like this in his brain. And as he looked into that mirror at the healthy whole hand, he said, my pain is gone. And Dr. Ramachandran said, close your eyes. He closed his eyes and he said, the pain is back. Open your eyes. He opened his eyes. My pain is gone. This went on and on, and, and he said, I want you to take this mirror box home, and I want you to practice with this. I don't remember the exact amount of times. I think it was three or four times a day that he wanted him to look at what was healthy and what was whole and what was working. And as that young man did that, he rewired his brain, and he got rid of the phantom in the brain. Um, in the same way... When we are looking at what's healthy, what's whole, what's working, what's right, we can also um, rewire or um, use that neuroplasticity for our brain. We can decide what we're going to focus on. Is it um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how's your pain? And I'm sorry, I know all of you have to ask that question. But you know what happens to me when that question is asked of me? is I have to focus on my pain. Uh, and it's okay once a year when I go to the doctor to do that. But when that's your focus all the time, um, it can become a problem. Um, I've been in the hospital for several different issues where they're coming in the room all the time and asking me that question. And um, this is my normal. I am burning from the neck down inside and out because of this syrinx. But I rarely think about it. I, I know that sounds really difficult to believe, but this is my normal. So when I take a few minutes and I think about, um, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, hmm, I don't know, 5, 6, I don't know. It's, you know, it's there. Um, that makes me focus, that, that puts the focus on the brain, um, on my pain. Rather... Then, you know, one thing that we do for our clients is we ask them, what's gone well this week? Well, I will just tell you that the first time we ask that question, um, it's very confounding to them. They, uh, nothing, nothing is going well this week. Everything is bad. I don't know. I, I can't think of a single thing. Well, it can just be something little. Well, my grandson came over last night and he made me smile. Okay, that's something that's going well. Um, after we've been working with people for a while, and if we perhaps forget to ask them that question, they don't like it very well because they've been 
thinking all week about what they're going to tell me about what's going well. And if I skip over that part, they're like, wait, wait, wait. You forgot to ask me what's going well. Um, so it, it really just changes the whole perspective when we think about what's right, what's healthy, what's whole. And all of us, no matter what we have going on, um, pain-wise or emotion-wise or anything else, we all have things that we can be grateful for. We all have things that we can um, uh, just think about um, that are going well. So um, I, I want to just say that um, I came home from that restoration program, and I did really well. Um, I have a really good support system, and I was curious, and I started reading everything I could get my hands on, and I started helping other people with pain, but other people were not doing so well. Um, I was in the program with 12 other people. So I started to think, what would make this better? What could make this um, more useful for someone who's at home? Um, I have no complaints about the program I was in. It was fabulous. It totally changed my life. But some people go home and they don't have that support system that they need. They don't have um, the motivation that it takes to learn and, and just, uh, well, they can learn, but they need someone to walk alongside them and help them um, and pull them out of that pit that, that they're in. And so I decided that, that the program needed to be from the person's home. It needed to be telephonic. Um, my number one reason for this is that the two times I came home from rehab, the first time was from, out, from inpatient rehab where I was learning how to walk. I came home in a wheelchair to my very wonderful family, um, but it was this, the scariest time for me. I would say that it was probably one of the most um, difficult times of my recovery. Can I go home? Can I do this? I've had this whole group of people taking care of every need, helping me with everything that I need. Can I go home? Can I do this at home? And then the second was when I went home from the functional restoration program. Um, is this going to be possible? I was used to being a passive patient. So how can we get this turned around so people are active managers instead of passive patients? Well, one of those is to um, just have the program done from their home, where that's where they're going to be making the changes, and that's where we can walk alongside them as they make the changes they need to, to make to be active managers instead of passive patients. So um, the what went well... Um, is is a big is a big part of this. Um, we we use um, motivational interviewing, which was developed to work with um, people that have addictions, but it works really well with this group of people who are sometimes a little bit incredulous as to how talking to somebody is going to help their real pain, how learning some of these tools is really going to make a difference, and so what we do is we allow them. In motivational interviewing, um, how it's done is, you know, they are the ones that make the goals, and we support them. We collaborate. And so it, it works really well um, in a collaboration kind of a way. So there are 116 million people that have chronic pain in the United States. 
And um, that's, that's a, a really big bite <laughs> to take. Um, there, there are a lot of us that have things other than chronic pain, you know, emotional pain, um, lots of difficulties. And um, this, is, um, this is where I get to hike every morning. Um, don't be too jealous. I, I live in Bozeman, Montana. It's pretty gorgeous. Most of the time that field is full of flowers. Um, but um, there are a lot of people that have pain, and there are a lot of us that have other, other issues that, that we need help with. And as we learn how to um, walk together with them, as we um, just help support them and give them the tools they need for chronic pain, um, they can uh, also be active managers of their own experience of pain instead of passive patients. They can get out of that recliner and be active, and life can still be okay with chronic pain. Um, I have just recently, um, since January, um, been trying to figure out some new pain that I have. I've, I've developed, I guess you would call it visceral pain. You know, pain is a warning signal. And so I need to pay attention. You know, I don't feel anything on this side of my body. So when I feel something on this side of my body, I need to pay attention to it. But once the tests are done, and I, I have had probably 15 different kinds of tests, and they find nothing, then my fear can go away, my negativity can go away, and when I feel that, that pain, I can just realize that's just something new that I now need to normalize. Um, this has been, you know, I'm, I'm 11 years out from my injury, but it seems like there's always something, and that's how many of us are with complicated pain. We, we often have new and different things going on, and maybe we do need to have some tests and find out, but once we find out, once something goes from acute too chronic, just like um, when, we, when we started the slides, you could see my, my acute path. I had lots of people that had to do a lot of things for me. Um, once we enter the chronic path, that's where it's, it's up to me. It's, it's up to the patient to be that active manager and to find the things that can, can really help and, and turn things around. Um, and for each person, it's something different. Um, you guys, as you just watched this video of me hiking up the hill here, I, that's probably 6.30 or 7 in the morning, and I am taking my sleeping pill, my pain pill, my antidepressant, my anti-anxiety, um, my muscle relaxant. That's what I do when I exercise every morning. Um, this morning, I had to do it on a machine on... Uh, floor 14, but <laughs> this is where I usually do all of that. Um, but there are a lot of things that, that each person can do. Um, for me, I have my whole toolkit, um, and each person that we work with, we help them put together their toolkit as well and, and become active managers of their own experience of pain. So what I've learned by accident is that life can still be okay, life can still be good, despite complicated pain, despite disability. Um, I, I have a really good life. I travel all over the United States. I, 
I coach people. I have 20 coaches. I'm training more. I have, I do things with my kids. I did um, an 11 mile hike on Saturday for my 51st birthday. We, um, I think we gained 3,500 uh, feet, vertical feet, and we hiked up to two alpine lakes and. I would have never imagined that while I was laying in the recliner nine years ago that my life could still be good. I can still go bowling um, if I want to. I'm terrible at it, but I, I still can do it. I can do the things um, that I want to do, and, and life can still be okay. That is my message. Um, my, my message is that um, there is hope for those hopeless patients. And I want to just thank all of you for um, taking care of all of the people like me and being patient. Um, I, um, I, I apologized to my doctor, but I just want to apologize to you for all the pains in the butts that you guys might have that might have been just like me. And um, just please, um, please keep, keep on um, the path of, of helping all of us who have chronic pain. And just want to give you that hope. Um, I have a few minutes for questions if there's any, but thank you.